10 to 1, episode 169. Why Charlotte Mason. I'm saying this because <laughs> we didn't discuss it ahead of time. <laughs> uh, I don't think we need to do too much introduction. We did our last episode on on why homeschool and kind of a big philosophical, uh, very high level. And then this one's going to be still high level <laughs> but a little bit more focused to sure. why specifically uh, we chose or I, ch- I guess i chose you chose it charlotte mason because i'm the i'm the one that's interested in <laughs> planning and picking curriculums yep. and and uh educational philosophies oh man just the thought of that makes my head hurt and makes me want to cry the thought of <laughs> pouring over different curriculums and it's pretty fun comparing them uh no. well we don't have to do it drudge yeah we don't have to do that anymore but it was fun <laughs> spreadsheets oh no it was pretty great <laughs> um now get but... me on there about chickens though that's when i'll be right. comparing see, them see yeah, it's a, when it's something you're interested in yeah so i was homeschooled you were partly homeschooled right I was an oldest child where youngest. you were the youngest. So I also saw siblings getting homeschooled. And um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm again the, the spreadsheet planning, interested in reading about. <laughs> I'm the let's person. wing it type. Yeah. So that's how it ended up being me kind of figure out what we're going to do for First homeschooling when we both decided we were going to give it a shot. And then we tried a, uh, well, okay. So then I looked online and saw, uh, you know, let's, let's look at what different types of, of curriculums there are. Cause this is what my mom did. And so I'm going to have fun to compare these different curriculums and found an article on, uh, what are the different types of, uh, of, edu- of homeschooling. And so one of them was Charlotte Mason and it pretty much made it sound like a, uh, hippie nature study yeah, you're just out in the forest taking walks and and there's not really it's just it's good for young children and so that was kind of what i thought charlotte mason was and so i said well we're not gonna do that hippie stuff <laughs> we're gonna do this one and that's called classical because it's smoking the stuff smoking the weed cool. a few years later we're with the hippies no it's not a hippie it's not a hippie thing um so we did a classical curriculum for a year and i i kept reading and and listening to podcasts and um kind of thinking it through and we ended up changing more and more things to the curriculum that we were following uh we can talk about again not this episode but maybe another episode so that this one doesn't get to be too long of uh, specific practices and uh, kind of how of the curriculum that we're doing. Um, but we started kind of doing more things that ended up being sort of Charlotte Mason-y type things. 
um, like morning time and um, uh, yeah uh, so then we just from um, uh, from me listening to uh, people on the literary life podcast from reading different homeschool moms and and different educators um, I kind of came to agree more with the ideas behind Charlotte Mason that we're about to talk about and so we then switched to Ambleside Online last year, um, which is a, a Charlotte Mason curriculum. So, that to say, we've been homeschooling for, I mean, two years ish. They all we we taught them stuff before, obviously. Like we talked about in the last episode, you're always you're always teaching, you're always educating, because it's it's parenting. But um, kind of like officially homeschooling, we've done it for two years, one year of Charlotte Mason. So I'm not the expert. I don't think you would say that you're an expert <laughs> on it. In fact, this episode is partly so that I can kind of let you know what's what are some of the the reasons behind this curriculum. Because really, the the reason why is what's important more than the practices. Like the curriculum that we're doing, I think is really good, but there's gonna there's other curriculums that are also very good. Uh, there's gonna be a curriculum in a hundred years, hopefully that's better than the one that we're using. You know, there's things that are gonna come and go, things that are gonna be different based on your your culture, your your time. Um, but the the ideas behind it, the reasoning, is what's not gonna change those because they're based on reality. Is is going to be what the claim is uh, that those are things that are not going to change and so you can rely upon those bedrock ideas um, and then uh, once you've got the why then the how comes after that so fair enough okay so <laughs> so that being said again not the expert go listen to uh, the new mason jar podcast is a very good charlotte mason it's not about mason jars it's not about mason jars go listen to that podcast pick what you're interested in start with some of the the first ones or go um go look up uh cindy rollins um or um i, I can put some more links in the show notes there's people that have been doing this for a very long time uh karen glass the ladies on the the amble side online um advisory board that came up with the curriculum uh they know what they're talking about and you really should be listening to them. But since you're here, <laughs> and since Melissa's not going to go listen to 20 hours of podcasts or read any books about this. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot of what, uh, what the idea is with, with Charlotte Mason. So it is a philosophy. Again, not a specific curriculum. She was a school teacher in England, early 1900s, and uh, very well-read read a bunch of um, classical uh, philosophers and um, and educators and um, uh, very well read, very thoughtful person. And then she wrote her six volumes on her educational philosophy. And uh, eventually she tried to kind of, of boil it down to 20 principles. So we're going to try and go through those 20 principles. It's kind of an arbitrary numbering. It's You could really put it into fewer than 20, but 20 is a nice number, I guess. Nice round number. A lot of th these are going to sound familiar because I think we've been hearing these things 
from uh, other books that we've read, from other things that we've talked about. Um, and so part of why we are doing Charlotte Mason is that I think other people she, agree with this too. Yeah. I think she found some truths that uh, like this wasn't something that she invented. Right. It's not like in 1900 Charlotte Mason invented this new uh, educational idea. Um, like these are kind of bedrock principles that I think you find other places. And um, what was the other thing I was going to say about her? I don't remember. So we'll just go with the, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on going with these 20 principles. <laughs> and, um, oh, I, I was going to say, uh, how much do I want to say? She, uh, people are very interested in doing a classical education because you hear classical and you think, uh, you know, tradition, it goes back thousands of years. It's very, it's proven. And uh, I think the book Consider This by Karen Glass demonstrates that Charlotte Mason's ideas were these traditional ideas that have been proven through the centuries. So I think this is actually a classical education that you're getting by doing um, Charlotte Mason's. It's a classical model. Yeah, well, see, and that's why I didn't want to necessarily go too far because then there's things that are called classical that are very new ideas, mm. but they use the name classical. And then there's things like, I think Charlotte Mason is very classical in the way that she's following ideas from, um, you know, the best ideas from Plato and Comenius and uh, Erasmus and Augustine and... Um, uh, uh, but then there's also people that will say that they're doing Charlotte Mason and will sell you a Charlotte Mason curriculum. And it's also very new ideas. So you can't, yeah. <laughs> so you've got to be careful. That's why the philosophy is so important because you can't just buy something off a curriculum off the shelf and say, well, it has the name of classical or it has the name of Charlotte Mason. It must be good. Um, uh, we, we want, we just want to buy it off the shelf and like have it where you want to just have your five bullet points and you hit those or your lesson plan and you give that to your children and now they're geniuses and also saints. <laughs> but that's not how it works. Um, and uh, part of that is because, or maybe all of that, is because of principle number one, that children are born persons. And so her idea is, uh, you know, people are, are uh, created in the image of God and that children are not, um, oh, this was just in, it was at least in the Jane Eyre uh, miniseries that we watched. I don't remember if it's in the book. It but is. Children should be um, allowed to feel emotions and like their their feelings are valid. Right. Or they're kind of talking about um, like children are these kind of like lesser beings and then we educate them so that they can become human. Now they're humans. Yeah. But they're already born human. Um, you know, we're, we're all trying to become more human, but uh, oh. they're not. There we go. They're lesser humans. Now we're. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, see, and that's all of these things are really hard to talk about because of, of nuances like that. But uh, the idea is they're not robots. They're not animals. Uh, they're not um, blank slates for us to pour our, our, um, 
our facts into and now that makes them <clears throat> the the people that they need to be um they are they're not all good or all bad because we have both a sin nature mm-hmm. and we're made in the image of god so it's not just a simple um uh, it's not simple people aren't simple people are 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 organisms they're um uh, it's complex yeah yes so that's that's kind of one of the main the main things is that uh of children being people or persons that's that's like one of her foundation that's her principle number one and that's kind of one of her two main principles according to karen glass all the principles are related through uh, the main two principles and this is the first one okay um and then not all good or bad that was principle number two um and then uh we'll just go in order because i don't I tried to condense these and put them in my own order, but I don't feel like I did a very good job. So we're just going to go in, in her order. Um, so number three is obeying authority is needed. So you do need authorities, you need parents and teachers. She's not, um, this isn't a child led education where you just let the children decide what they want to do or decide what they want to learn. Um, but then number four, uh, parents and teachers have to be very careful to not, abuse their position of authority so um any sort of manipulating the children even into trying to do good things is not good so um uh, manipulating them through fear just like trying to scare them into you know uh, i don't know uh, you're not going to get a good job if you don't learn this would maybe be like manipulating through fear or you know if you don't sit in that desk and learn how to read you're gonna just be stupid all your life you know uh, hopefully no oh, man. people are saying that but um even even manipulating them through love where you're trying to uh, you know you're you're breaking down in tears and like oh i just wish you would learn this well, i guess i can't do the charlotte mason <laughs> standard then because that was me just earlier this week yeah Kids were bouncing off the walls, and I was trying to teach them Spanish. And yeah, I yeah. Was, was letting them have it. I was like, "You would not be allowed to behave this way in in building school." Okay. Yeah. And there were some tears. Gotcha. <laughs> well, yes. There was there was some emotional manipulation, but I th- I yeah, thought yeah. it was in a good way to let them see how good they've got it, but also they need to respect the time that we have set aside for this yes well and that's why this is so difficult because it's certainly easier to go the that route and obviously i do it too (laughs) and nobody's doing this perfectly uh so the this isn't i'm not going to um, educate my children until I can do everything perfectly. These are ideals to strive for. Right. So some people need to be told uh, it's okay that you're not perfect. You need to keep going and, and striving for that. Some people need to be told, hey, this is important. <laughs> you need to, you need to try to, to uh, improve with this. Some people need to be told that, but 
did. Uh, for the perfectionist yeah. people that are that are going to get discouraged, uh, then yes, we're do we're doing our best. I'm certainly not doing it <laughs> very well. Nobody's doing it perfectly, and so, um, but you can't just not parent your children until you figure out how to yeah. be a good parent. You can't not um, uh, you can't not cook dinner until you know how to cook. You just gotta cook, <laughs> and hopefully by cooking you'll yeah. you'll become a better cook. Yeah, that's that's just how life works. Um, so. Um, instead, she says, instead of manipulating, we need to use, uh, three instruments, environment, habit, and living ideas. And this is her point number five. Uh, so, uh, this is where the phrase education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life comes in. And so, uh, those three, um, atmosphere, discipline, life are the next three points. So an atmosphere means you're learning through real life. So you are going on nature walks, as an example, and learning about birds, learning about animals, learning about plants and nature, rather than I'm going to put you in a laboratory and bring in a, uh, a, bird, a bird feather and then next week I'll bring in a bird beak. <laughs> this is kind of a a silly example to to prove the point, but like you're learning naturally, not in an artificial manner. Also, not in a dumbed down way mm. where you're like talking down to the children. Um, it's just this um, like through life you're you're teaching. Mm. You're at the grocery store and you're teaching. Um, Okay, and then her number seven is uh, a discipline. Uh, so it's building good habits and self-control. And then it's a life. Uh, and so the idea with that is um, that it's every part of you. So we're it's um, primarily, I guess, uh, I don't want to say primarily. It's mental is the part we think about most is their minds are expanding uh, by learning these ideas. Um, but it's also physical, uh, so um, uh, uh, exercise and um, being able to control your body and even being able to do things like um, handicrafts where you have control of your fingers and can learn um, these physical motions uh, is also part of it because we're physical beings. People are, have bodies, and um, it's also spiritual. Uh, so she was a Christian, and um, for her knowledge of god was the the most important knowledge uh so then on to number uh nine she kind of reiterates uh, from before that we're we're spiritual organisms that digest knowledge um and you'll hear the the eating analogy a lot certainly from um Karen Glass and others that I've heard modern. I've not read. I, other than excerpts, I've not read Charlotte Mason, so I don't know if she uses that. Um, that's next on the list, but um, they're not uh, sacks to stuff ideas into. That they're organisms that are digesting. So, um, with the idea of 
eating uh, with that picture, um, uh, there's the idea of a feast of ideas. And then in the same way you can't um, force feed, chi- I mean, I guess you can force feed a child at, su- at a certain age, but very quickly they have to feed themselves and you're putting food in front of them, um, but then they have to be the ones to chew and swallow mm. and then digest. Uh, you can't um, digest it for them. Um, and we could talk about what that means maybe later. Um, uh, and you also have to present them with the good food instead of um, junk food. And you have to present them with a diverse, vast uh, uh, amount of, of, of knowledge. Um, so then let's see. Uh, if it was just we we filled their minds with ideas, then the burden is on the teacher at that point and, and lesson planning and getting this exact amount of, of information and these exact things to give to the child. Um, but your danger, if you do that, of, of um, giving the child a lot of teaching but not giving them a lot of knowledge. Uh, so the teacher has to make sure that it's not the teacher getting in the way of the child learning. Um, so then uh, here's the other uh, main point. Uh, any any thoughts? I'm, I'm going to take a sip of water. It sounds good so far. Okay, so then uh, her, according to Karen Glass, her other big idea of of the 20 of the two biggest being children are born persons. The other one is that education is the science of relations. And so that um, the way that you learn is to make connections between different pieces of knowledge. And so do you remember, I'm sure I read it to you when I was reading Hard Times, or do you remember when you were reading Hard Times, there's the scene of the children in school and there's uh, the girl Sissy that whose father trains horses at the circus and she's coming to school for the first time and the teacher says uh you know what uh, <laughs> it's a really funny scene but also sad i think all the children have numbers so he like, says girl number seven stand and tell the class what is a horse and she's so <laughs> she's so scared uh, that she can't um <laughs> she just freezes up and doesn't say anything um but of course she knows what a horse is right because she's mm-hmm. been around horses for her whole life and um she and her father has taught her about horses in a very natural way um even though maybe she she's not gonna be able to put it into words um so then she sits down and um he calls on uh so this is thomas Gradgrind, <laughs> another wonderful charles dickens name uh, he he says he calls on another child bitzer your definition of a horse. And and Bitzer says, quadruped, graminivorous, 40 teeth, namely 24 grinders, 4 eye teeth, and 12 incisive, sheds coat in the spring, in marshy countries, sheds hoofs too, hoofs hard but requiring to be shod with iron, age known by marks in mouth, thus, and much more, Bitzer. Now, girl number 20, said Mr. Gradgrind, you know what a horse is. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so Charlotte Mason's idea here illustrated wonderfully by Charles Dickens is you can know all the facts about something 
but you don't know you something. Have, yeah, experienced it. Yeah, until you've experienced it, until you have the connections between everything. All those things that that kid said were true facts about a horse. And utter nonsense. And uh, yeah, it yeah, doesn't, just, it's, it's chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the science of relations is, is how she puts it. Uh, and so then this is that idea of you're giving them a feast of ideas. Um, you're giving them um, living books, giving them direct knowledge of nature and science and art. And then they're making the connections. The teacher is not the one to make the connections. That would be like um, digesting uh, the food for them. Um, but you're teaching them to make connections. And then, um, and then they've got to have that aha moment as they study these different subjects. Okay, uh, and then um, knowledge communicated, uh, again, vast and varied, communicated through literary language. Uh, so this is the idea of you're letting them read real books. For example, if you're teaching literature, then they're reading literature. They're not reading excerpts put into a textbook mm. by a textbook writer. Um, no offense to textbook writers, but... yeah. <laughs> You should be, if you're going to teach history, you should read, uh, you know, a book by, yeah, maybe you should read Julius Caesar writing about mm -hmm. his campaigns and not read it, not just reading or maybe never reading a textbook with bullet points and bold terms by someone who can write textbooks. That's probably not a very high uh, literary quality. Uh, and then the even just the language itself, getting the beautiful language um, uh, into their minds is very important. Uh, okay, a few more. So then uh, children should narrate after a single reading or hearing to assimilate the knowledge. And this is that idea of, of um, you, you only really know something after you've taught it. And so uh, you uh, read something once. You don't let them go back and read it again because uh, this is going to learn, uh, help them learn how to focus. And they're going to miss some facts and get some things wrong as they're starting out or forget things. But um, it's going to be a habit that they can then form to be able to read something and, and retain it. Uh, and then narration is something that, that locks that in as they um, say, read a story and then they, in their minds, put things in, in order, uh, decide what the important points are. Um, they're, uh, it's helpful for their memory because now they're, they're um, uh, working on and practicing um, remembering these things. And then being able to speak out loud and later being able to write down uh, in a coherent way the things that they now understand. Um, and then eventually that becomes... Uh, as they um, as they read something, they'll make connections to other things, and they'll have their own ideas. Um, but here at the beginning, it's it's just uh, it's the knowledge is coming from outside them, and then they are incorporating that through narrating. So um, it should be something that brings humility, not uh, oh, what are your ideas, Lydia, on. Uh, on taxation <laughs> i don't know <laughs> what we'd be asking here but uh you know what would you do if you were uh, 
in a witch's cottage. <laughs> um, so uh, staying humble uh, by um, not making them. That, that's also part of not not making it child centered and letting them do whatever they want. Um, that that could definitely make a child very proud and uh, focus on themselves. We don't want that. All right, a couple more. Um, she says there are two guides to help in moral and intellectual growth, uh, and that's the will and the reason. So then uh, the will is uh, they need to learn to distinguish between I want and I will. Um, and so um, when you, so she even suggests as a, as a practical thing, when there's something you want to do or when you don't want to do something that you should, then um, take a break, think about something else or do something else briefly. And then after a short diversion, your mind is refreshed and you can will to do what you should. Mm. So I guess it's that idea of, you know, you're, uh, I don't know, you don't want to do a chore. And so, uh, okay, take a two minute break. You'll listen to a song or go read a page of a book and then you come back and, and do the chore or, um, I'm at work and I'm just banging my head against this thing or I really just, I know I'm supposed to be working on this task, but it's really boring. And so, uh, let me just go out and like refill my water bottle and say hi to Melissa and then come back in and okay, now I'm focused. Now I'm going to do it. That kind of idea. Uh, so building your will by practicing that and then, um, reason as well. Um, but, uh, uh, leaning not to thine own understanding. So using reason as a, as a tool, as a servant and using, um, uh, your logic to, um, you know, do mathematics and, um, uh, to, uh, find proofs for the things um, that you believe, I suppose, um, but not uh, not thinking that you're like uh, logicking out, if that's a phrase. <laughs> it's a phrase now. Uh, like C.S. Lewis says um, in the discarded image that we we think that we examine all the facts and then we very logically decide what we're going to believe um, but actually what people usually do is we decide what we're going to believe and make up reasons afterwards. And then we come up with yeah. reasons or we find the facts. We go looking for the facts that we then bend about. I'll mention that too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a, this is what definitely one of the examples of, Oh yeah, I've heard this from, yeah. C.S. Lewis says it. Mm -hmm. And then I think Ben DeBono maybe from the he was Ian McGilchrist somebody, probably, yeah. series that he's doing the neuroscientist. And then Charlotte Mason is also saying this. So, um, when you have these, these ideas, connections. exactly yeah. the signs of relation. See, uh, so um, uh, children have to understand that as a human, they're going to have to accept or reject ideas, and it's not going to be uh, logic is not the thing that's going to get you to accept the right ideas. You can't logic yourself into heaven. Would be another way to. Or another thing to bring in um, that um, 
uh, people people will uh, discuss if God exists or not, and that's not something that you can reason out, um, or you can't reason out. Um, oh, um, uh, the incarnation, the resurrection. Like these are things you're going to have to accept or reject. Um, and so um, then the last principle, number 20, is that all truths are God's truths. And so this is also goes with that um, varied range of, uh, yeah, I could have combined that with one of the other ones. Why didn't she combine this with one of the other ones? Um, knowledge being vast and varied. Um, because all truth is God's truth. Um, and so it's not, when we teach mathematics, uh, that's, that's like the secular thing, and we teach uh, history, and that's, that's like a subject. And then we also have a Bible class. Like That's not the right way to do mm. education, or it's not, well, um, we, we have our math books, and we put a Bible verse on the page where <laughs> we have a and word we've Christianized it now. <laughs> yes. Or we have a word problem. Jimmy had two Bibles and Sally had three Bibles. <laughs> like it's not that either. Um, it's the fact that there are truths in mathematics that are true and um, like believing, believing in an objective reality, believing in, um, in a consistency in how the world works. If you want to talk about like physics, like the laws of mm -hmm. nature and things, um, uh, like these things are going to be affected by your philosophy, by your, 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 like just as an example, a Christian versus an atheist is going to think about mathematics differently or should. And that should go for every subject. Um, and so, um, uh, it's not even like a, a Christian worldview is a very, uh, a common phrase. We're going to teach through a Christian worldview. It's not even that because then with that, you're, let's say reading, um, if you're reading literature through a Christian worldview, you're asking the students to like pick apart the stories and like, was the character right here? Is this author correct when they believe this? And you're again kind of making the student into a judge. Moralist. Yeah, moralist. Kind of turning them into, um, again, kind of self-centered. So Just an analyst instead of sitting there and experiencing it and yeah. may absorbing it and making it part of themselves. Yes. Yeah, that. Because education is the science of relations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right. And that's how art works then, that you experience art. You don't go into judge art, it judges you. I right, think right. what C.S. Lewis, how C.S. Lewis puts it. Well, along those thoughts. Um, so I've been rereading Jane Eyre uh, these last few days. And uh, man, it was so good on the first read, but it's so good on, on reread because you know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And when Mr. Rochester is talking to Jane about... Uh, You're going to spoil Jane Eyre here? Spoiler alert for... Different things. 200-year-old book <laughs> that everyone should go read. <laughs> oh, it's such a good book. Uh, like, 
in one like I've I've read like other people's reviews on Goodreads or um different things on YouTube and people are like, oh man, he was so wrong about this and uh, awful old man and um but on the other if you read the book and you just like humanize with it, you you understand like, man, this guy is uh you can see where he's coming from and you you can see why he's doing what he's doing. There. I th- I don't think I really spoiled mm. anything too much. Right, right, right. You empathize with him. Right. And would you do the same thing in his shoes? I I I don't know. Right. Well, even that I wouldn't I wouldn't teach it someone to read or so here's what I'm reading and and being taught. You wouldn't teach someone to read even to say uh, what would you do in this situation? Because no, then I, you're again making it about the yeah. No, I I wouldn't the reader. However, I wouldn't give a, this story and and <laughs> challenge uh, somebody to think about how they'd respond in that that situation. I'd just be like, go live the story, go yeah, go experience it. Yeah, and it's it's another one of those. I think one another one of those paradoxes, like he who would say. Uh, he who would save his life must lose, must lose it. it. Yeah, it's one of those things where you don't moralize, you don't use a story to preach a sermon, or to no. Uh, what would what would you do if if uh, this situation happened? But you what? are you are learning moral lessons from good art. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like one of those things where if you try to make if, it into yeah, a moral lesson. Yeah, if you're lesson, trying to make it preachy. Then it doesn't work. Yeah. You've just got to, it's just. It's just got to flow naturally. Yeah. It's it's weird. Yeah. It's difficult. And people are still trying to figure out how to do that. <laughs> Kirk Cameron isn't going to get it. I'll Aww, tell you that. Brian. <laughs> Shouldn't be naming names. So th- those are her 20 principles. I'll I'll name one more. It's not one of her principles. I don't remember if she mentions it uh here at all but um it was the the motto of the uh the school uh, what was it called the the pneu i don't remember what it stands for though but it was like her organization of schools that she started in england and uh their motto was i am i can i ought i will and it was uh, I am I am Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I so I'm a human being. I'm a born person. I I ought to do what I know is right. And I can choose to do what's right. And then each person has to say for themselves I will do what is right. And so then somehow we've got to not make the right choices for the for the children not um be the holy spirit or the one holding their hands as a puppet master in another one of those paradoxes where every <laughs> every time they do something wrong i want to like instantly correct it and like uh, then like give a lecture of what they should actually be doing but somehow like teaching them what's right reminding them but then not like 
spoiling it again by turning it into a a sermon. So I don't know. Maybe we'll figure it out if we keep doing it. <laughs> by then they'll all be grown and Yeah. Yeah. So so that's it. I mean that's that's at a high level my imperfect telling to you melissa and to you the listeners so uh do you want to do you have any last thoughts on it no it sounds nice okay well uh let's give it a try (laughs) we're giving it a try and i'm definitely interested in hearing from any listeners that are interested in homeschooling or just have children and um uh, want to make these principles a part of of uh, how they interact with their children, how they parent, and um, so uh, give us some feedback. Uh, tto at cozer.us is going to be best. That's the email address that will stay the way to, to uh, interact with us. Um, but uh, until the end of the year, you can also leave a comment on the website tto.cozer.us slash 169. You can see show notes for this episode, so I will put a link to the Ambleside Online. I'll put a link to Charlotte Mason's 20 Principles. I'll put a link to uh, Karen Glass's books. And if we can get to another episode in the next couple weeks, then let's do one where we just kind of talk about Ambleside Online specifically and uh, kind of how they took these principles and you know why are they teaching Shakespeare to children, for example. Maybe we can talk about that. So... Unless you've got anything else. No, I'm good. All right. Well, I got any other episodes you want to you wanna do in the next yeah, few I've months? Yeah, I've had one that I've wanted to do for several months now. All right. Well. Bye, guys. Melissa. <laughs> nope. I think I'm stopping you from this episode. it's a terrible idea. Have you mentioned it to me? Yes. Have you told me? Have you At said let's podcast this? At least three separate occasions. Have you said let's podcast this? Yes. Okay. What is it? It's on the nature of building community. Oh, yeah. Well, let's do that one. When do you want to do it? Well, let's do it next week. Let's do it next week.